Hi, Val here, and this is my podcast, The Kalahari Diaries. I live in one of Africa's most remote wilderness areas. Nature and wildlife is my biggest passion. I hand-dressed Serga the lioness and walked the Kalahari to join her on her hunts. My work is on tourism and nature conservation. For fun, but also for wildlife monitoring, I fly anything that gets me into the air. I live in an old caravan. The next supermarket is a two and a half hour drive away on sandy and bumpy roads. There is no cell reception anywhere nearby, and the only comms is an extremely slow, extremely expensive satellite internet connection. I am Valentin Grüner, and this is my podcast, The Kalahari Diaries. Hi, this is us again with the Kalahari Diaries, and this is our third episode, and today is going to be about Suga's life, how she grew up, and what she's doing today, and everything in between. I hope you enjoy. Suga was born at a private reserve in Botswana, near the Central Kalahari Game Reserve, and she was born in a facility for problem predators. That basically means her parents were lions that have been captured previously, to avoid them from being shot simply because they wandered off into cattle farms instead of staying in the reserve. And often these animals will get shot as problem animals. And this person who had the private reserve set up there had a facility where these animals could be kept instead of being killed. And the goal obviously was to have them released or relocated to other areas but that's not often possible and we'll talk a lot more about that in other podcasts as to why and things like that but for now basically that's just been the scenario there was all these lions that were put into these enclosures to save their life essentially but at the same time taking away their freedom although i should be adding that most of these camps not just most of them all of them are much much larger than what we would consider a normal lion enclosure it's like six to seven hectare camps per smaller group of lions and they had a pretty good life they're getting decent food but they also had cubs every once in a while and at that stage i had just started an agreement that i could start my own little camp on this reserve and take care of these lions help with the whole scenario around the predators and with everything else in the park and the deal was that i had to somehow bring in guests to the place my own guests that would pay a little bit of money to us so that we could finance the whole operation and do something with these predators. And this was all just in the very beginning. And some of the lions had a litter and the cubs were born, obviously, inside one of these camps. And I don't even know what happened. I wasn't even there, but some of the cubs disappeared. There was only one cub left. And by the time I got there, I had been informed that this had happened, that the cub might need help. And we went to look at it. I had a meeting with a vet before in town. The vet helped me with all the things that I could possibly need to help this animal if it needed to be taken out of the enclosure. And when we arrived, the cub was just lying under a bush, very dehydrated and weak. And the mother had stopped feeding it for whatever reason. So... Yeah, I decided to take Serga out and raise her by hand. The owner of the place gave me his permission to do that. And essentially, that's how the whole thing started. So Serga was probably about two weeks old. Her eyes were just sort of opening. And when I took her out of the cage, her skin was so like you could form it, sort of like clay. She was so dehydrated and really not not doing that well. And very yeah, sleepy and, and, and just... Yeah, sick and weak, which was horrible to see. And the other thing that was interesting to see is that none of the other lions was even nearby when we went inside. But none of them cared about it, which reinforced, you know, that we didn't make a wrong decision by taking this little weak lion cub out and trying to raise it by hand. So, yeah, that's how Serga first arrived and our relationship started. Yeah, taking responsibility for a small lion cup like that is a huge undertaking, especially for me at that stage. We didn't really have much going. We still had to somehow manage to start our little business to earn an income to actually do something with the other lions and the whole scenario at this place. So I had arrived and all of a sudden there's this massive commitment and this huge responsibility to make sure that this little, you know, 
lion cub is healthy and that everything is going right and the moment it's in your hands there's just nothing else you you can do there's nobody you can blame now it's with you and you have to do your best and feedings are every two hours and at that stage it took a hell of a long time to feed Serga. she sometimes would take almost an hour to drink her bottle and I then spent a hell of a lot of time cleaning everything afterwards because you want to be so sure that there's no bad bacteria growing anything in those bottles. So after every feeding, I clean everything with boiling hot water, rinse it and dry it and leave it there properly. And then before the next feeding, I do the same thing again and then mix a brand new milk formula every time for her. And yeah, that's how this went. So the whole cleaning, you know, preparing process could take quite a bit of time. Everything was done inside tents. There wasn't any solid structures, just tents with a little gas stove in the, in the bottle. So, and it's, it also included a walk from the tent where I stayed to the camp, which is about uh, a couple of hundred meters every time. And, and then Serga's feeding. It was just a hell of a lot to do. And on top of that, trying to get everything else started with building a small camp so we could actually receive some sort of young, you know, guests who would sort of help out on a volunteer kind of basis and pay a little bit of money so that we can keep the place going. That was the plan, which eventually worked out in the end. But in the beginning, everything with Serga was just, yeah, quite a roller coaster ride. And I actually kept a diary about her beginning and the first weeks i think the first so 60 days are kept in a diary essentially the diary is just started so that i can record every feeding the amounts that she drinks i would weigh it back every time after the feeding so that i can note down exactly how many milliliters she drank and then i took notes of when she would pee poop and so on obviously if she got some medication what that was so that everything was kept there in case there was ever anything wrong and the vet would have to look at the records and I've got this diary here with me still. It's been standing in my shelf now for quite a long time. But I thought for the purpose of this podcast, it would be cool to just share a little bit of these entries. And on top of these fact sheets that I did every day, I also did a quite a many days where I took a sort of daily record that I wrote down what had happened. And I just picked out a couple of them, which I think just describe the whole scenario a little bit it starts off with the very first days when she just arrived and how that all worked out and then just a couple in between to see the progress and i think i'm just going to start reading them out loud going to make a little bit of noise here with the papers all right so yeah here we are this is basically when we just got her it, this was brand new i just started with her she got a milk formula that i researched online the vet that was working with us helped a lot with it i called people who had experience with it i tr you know tried to get the best information possible and it was a mixture of cow milk heavy whipping cream sunflower oil egg yolks calcium supplement and vitamin supplements and everything was weighed to the milligram and mixed together properly for her on every feeding which was every two hours all right so this this entry is still pretty much just pinpoints obviously everything was very new back then i yeah didn't really know what i was doing was worried and i just took a few notes but i think they're still quite interesting so on the 11th of march 2012 the entry is like this it says trying to feed all night every two hours didn't take bottle Syringe fed her about 10 milliliters overnight, another 10 in the morning. She's active but does not drink properly, putting her to rest in her box at 12 o'clock. Trying next feeding at 2 o'clock. Refused food again, breathing fast. I tried to put a drip in but she moved, could only get a small amount of fluid in. I should add here that the drip was not an IV, it was in, in just under the skin because that was way easier on a, on a line that's not sleeping anything and obviously you can't tell it to, to lie still. So it's possible to put the drip fluid just underneath the skin just to try and get fluids into the animal because she wouldn't be drinking and at this stage she was just weak and wouldn't drink 20 milliliters overnight is obviously not enough. So yeah, next entry here goes try feeding again but still nothing. Then here, at 6 p.m. she is fast asleep, 
put the drip in again, more successfully this time. 10.30 p.m. She is drinking 50 milliliters and she peed. 12.30. She is drinking 60 milliliters and she peed. So basically this little entry describes extremely well the first, actually, yeah, one or two days where Serga arrived. I don't think I did anything else but trying to make sure that she somehow starts drinking. Obviously give her all the rest she needs in between. Check on everything clean everything properly, mix a new mixture, try again. And she literally wouldn't take anything. It, it, it didn't work. The amounts took forever to try and slowly dribble with, with a syringe to dribble 10 milliliters into, into her mouth. And it's questionable whether she drank all of that or if a lot of it just went out again. And somehow with the drip fluid, it literally made such an amazing difference from the 6 p.m. feeding where she got the first actually amount of drip fluid into her she took until 10 30 and then started drinking properly and basically from then on Serga was actually okay a few hiccups here and there but everything went according to plan and at least for the next couple of years she never got sick or had anything seriously wrong with her so that was the very very first bit of Serga and it's so quick to say this now it's actually amazing all the memories that come back this was some of the most scary days that I've ever experienced because you just think, oh my God, what if something goes wrong? Now I took this line and you, I don't know, you just feel so responsible. And the moment when this thing with the drip worked and she drank afterwards and she peed, it was just amazing. Even though it was just this little bit of milk and a little bit of pee, but it made, it made everything worth it somehow. And it's just a huge relief that at least something something's working so something was going right yeah so that was that one entry now let's skip forward a little bit yeah this is day three of having server so this is just two days after this first entry okay it says on the top total consumed amount 560 milliliters so proper amount of milk so she is drinking well and then this morning after the first slash last bottle broke, which had cracks already and gave up, I only did two more feedings with the help of duct tape. I had to get new bottles. I tried to find something in Dika, but there was nothing, so I had to race into Hansi. Just a side note here, Dika was about a one and a half hour drive, Hansi about a two hour drive away from Surga, and feedings were supposed to be every two hours. So now the little raft was on its last li um, limits. I got bottles from the pharmacy, which should work much better. By the time I got back, she was without food for five and a half hours and she finished a bottle with 110 milliliters in no time. Afterwards, she slept. A bit later, I took her out of the box where she spent most of the day in and let her explore the area around my tent. I also named her Serga after a movie I know from my childhood. She was running around outside, biting leaves and branches and was very playful. I sat in the sand and when she was away from me, never more than five meters, she would come running up to me as soon as I started talking. While I'm writing this, she's walking around between my legs, trying to bite the chair I'm sitting on. Her little teeth are just starting to break through. In total, she seems 100% and I am certain that if we would not have taken her, she would not have survived another night. It feels nice to know that, but the responsibility of feeding her myself now and being the only one responsible for her survival is very big and creates stress. I'm hoping that will change once she made her first walks and I can see her grow properly. At the moment, she seems to be so breakable. She behaves very well and is only active when I'm around. As soon as I leave her alone, she goes to sleep and only gets up once I'm back and she can hear my voice. I guess this is normal natural behavior since she would normally still be in a hide and her mom would have to go hunt. To be reintroduced to the pride would take a minimum of another couple of weeks. I talked to the vet again today and he told me to inject her again with penicillin tomorrow and with the dewormer in a week's time. I'm slightly worried since I'm not a qualified person, but I have the medication here and the cost of getting a vet out would be too much, so I will have to do it myself. It will also not be nice to cause pain to her 
but I'm sure it won't disturb the bond which is starting to develop. Yeah, so that was after a few days. Obviously, things were going better with Serga. I think this is when I started realizing what a hell of a responsibility I took there. And here's another one. This is day nine. Serga was again in a very good mood today. She seems to enjoy playing outside and besides that, she loves snuggling in the tent on her blankets. Normally she lays on her back while she is getting her belly rubbed and at the same time she plays with my arms. She is not scratching so much anymore and is starting to play very nicely and gentle. Sometimes her appetite is still not as I would like it to be. She is not very eager for food. She takes a few zips and then wanders off, takes a few more when she gets back to you and she keeps doing that until the bottle is almost finished. At the same time she loves sucking my fingers. I think it might be because of the rubber nipple I'm using at the moment, it has an enlarged hole because in the beginning she was too weak to suckle properly. Now she is squeezing the nipple much harder and maybe there is too much milk coming. On her first feeding this morning I tried a new nipple and she drank with it, but it was not going very fast and for the last 30 milliliters I changed back to the old one. I think tomorrow I will try to use the new nipple for more feedings. Maybe she needs that challenge of sucking properly to get to the food, but I doubt it because so far with the old nipples she never had problems. And there was never any milk coming through her nose, so it seems like nothing ever got into the lungs so far. Her breathing is also very calm and regular, only in the heat of the midday she is breathing a bit faster. But it's very warm during the day at the moment and everybody is struggling with that heat a little bit. In total, she seems to be doing perfectly fine. Her movements are developing quickly and she is becoming even more attached. She loves to get snuggled and to play. Today, she took a cup and carried it for about 10 meters around before she lost interest and dropped it. It was a funny sight. At the moment, I can only leave her alone in the tent. She is only sleeping there when I'm not around and there is no trouble leaving her but when she is outside, I cannot go far away. Either she follows or she stays behind, but then she starts calling and becomes very nervous and is obviously relieved every time I turn around and come back for her. We got another quick entry here, which says, the day 22, Serga had a very good day today. She drank properly and was very playful again. She also had a first meat to eat and she loved it. I don't have a good scale to weigh the meat, but it was a nice handful and she ate all of it and also the normal milk. Feedings went well all day. She had stool on her own on my veranda and it was a very large amount. I hope that her digestion will work well with the meat now. I will try to slowly increase the portions because she seems to like that a lot more than the milk. The meat was from the heart of a cow that was slaughtered the day before for the big lions and I had saved it for her. All her milk feedings are taking a lot of time at the moment, sometimes up to an hour and even if she refuses to drink for about 30 minutes, she sometimes has a moment where she will finish half the bottle in one go. I believe she's not downing the milk like she would be about to starve because she is the only lion here and does not have to worry about competition from, for food from others. Orders the calcium tablets and the taste of the vitamin juice, but since she has already drank it for such a long time, I doubt that that is the reason for her slow eating at the moment. Otherwise, she seems 100% healthy and loves playing and running outside and she is slowly becoming a small lion, not just a baby anymore. Yeah, it's just Silga's diary is actually quite quite amazing for myself. I don't really think I've looked at this ever since I've written it and the podcast now is the first time. There's one more day, this is day 29. The entire day today went fine. Silga is drinking better now and all feedings went fine. I was busy in camp again to get the new kitchen and surroundings ready for the new volunteers that will arrive in a few days. In the afternoon after the third feeding I took her for a little walk just by myself and her. I enjoy walking with her the most and she also seems to like it a lot. She can now follow when I walk normal pace but she still needs to run to keep up with me. Her digestion is functioning perfectly now without me wiping her anymore and her stool looks yellowish creamy even with the meat added to the diet. The meat I'm feeding her now is rump steak and not heart anymore because I could not get any heart. She is liking it just as much and I can't hear any noises from the stomach and she feels nice and soft around the belly most of the time. 
Only when she finishes a whole 200 milliliter portion of milk, I can feel that it is getting a bit tight around her belly, but never bloated or anything like that. Yeah, so this entry is <laughs> actually just quite funny. In the beginning, I think Suga's digestion, how many times she peed and pooped and how she gained weight and how many grams and milliliters she ate and drank was pretty much all I really cared about. And this describes it pretty well. So yeah, I think this is enough from Serga's little diary for now. Let me put this away. I'm I'm actually a little bit blown away myself right now with all these memories coming back. I guess it's a good thing I kept this diary. But yeah, I don't want to go on with that for much longer now. We'll go a little bit into what happened after that and how Serga developed from there on. Everything in the diary right now was basically not even the first month of Suga being around. And in that first month, I had built a little box. It was just like a little wooden box that was standing next to my bed inside my tent. I didn't never had a house so far in Africa. That includes until today. But back then I had a tent on some sort of a wooden platform. And yeah, Suga had the little box that was standing next to my bed. I actually remember that back then I never even slept in the bed. I would just fall asleep on the blanket that was that the box was standing on. And I was too scared to take her out because I didn't want to crush or anything like that if I would roll around or move or anything while I was asleep. Yeah, the tent was this first, you know, month or maybe month and a half where I really, really kept her close by and warm and looked after her. But she developed a hell of a lot in that first month. I guess that also was obvious to see in the diary entries. So I never wanted Suga to become used to anything that is people stuff, aside from me being people. But basically, I didn't want her to be inside. I didn't want her to be a lion that sits on a, you know, on a chair in a car, uh, lies around in a house. I wanted her to actually be a lion as much as possible. So I decided to sleep outside with her. In the beginning, we built a sort of smallish enclosure outside the tent around a couple of bushes and a little tree, and that became a new home. And I started sleeping out there just with a sleeping bag every night. That's where I went to bed, and Serga loved it. She actually, on cold nights, would crawl all the way into the sleeping bag with me. And I remember when once she got a bit bigger, she used to get really grumpy because she just couldn't fit into the sleeping bag. And it actually gets uncomfortable because the grumpy lion has claws coming out, trying to scratch its way into the sleeping bag. On top of that, I don't even know how many sleeping bags I went through because she she, yeah, she has very sharp claws and, and liked to scratch everything. And that was how things worked on from then. So she never went back inside the tent after that. She was outside and I was outside with her. And the reason was just to keep her away from, you know, being a, a pet that's just in, inside somewhere. I don't, I just never felt that that was right for, for a predator like that. Yeah, that was just the first year, actually. I think more than a year I spent pretty much every night outside with her. Yeah, there's one story from when Serga was still smaller, which I don't know, it just kind of shows how, how a small animal like that can, can freak out from something that they're not used to and something that's unnatural. So, for example, everything in the bush, all the noises that would come from other animals, there's nothing that that scares them much about it. And they're enormously clever. Suga would play with absolutely anything. You had a little rope, a shoelace, anything that moved, she would jump on and scratch it and bite it and chase it. And I always worried that what if she would ever see a snake? And I remember one time... I was actually sitting on my sort of veranda from the tent and I could see over to Suga's little enclosure and a big, big yellow Cape Cobra walked right in front of me. I actually got photographs of it because first I was just excited. I saw the Cobra. I thought, oh, amazing. I get a picture of it. How cool is that? And next thing I see is that Cobra makes its way over straight towards the lion enclosure. And I wasn't worried she was going to eat the lion cup the cobra is actually not big enough, although it was a good one and a half to two meter snake. But there's no way that she would eat the cub. But my worry was there's now a long, big rope basically moving through the cage and the lion's going to jump on it. And I, I pretty much thought that's it. And there's nothing I can do about it right now. I'm not going to get there in time. And I could see Serga and she just like dead still. She was looking at the snake and did not move at all. 
It's just an amazing demonstration of how some instincts really work out so amazingly well with these animals at this little age, where even I, you know, after having raised it or having spent, well, a whole little life until that stage with her, I could have sworn if anything like that moved through there that she would jump on it. And the fact that she didn't made me relax a lot more about that whole scenario playing out. And I think I learned a hell of a lot from it. Ironically, if we would think about humans in the same scenario, it's probably the other way around. A human would have probably, you know, instead of just sitting still and letting the snake walk past, run against the next tree so hard that we might go to hospital with a serious concussion. And I believe that is because for us, having a venomous snake walk right in front of you is definitely not anything that's normal anymore. And the same way, something that's not normal for a little lion or I think any wild animal is pretty much anything that's sort of unnatural noises and things that people make. And a great example of that is that during that time, we had our first satellite internet connection installed and it was installed right next to my tent. So basically, a big satellite dish had to be put up and that satellite dish needed a little base with cement where the pole that's holding the dish can stand in. Now, I still remember clearly, Sergas enclosure was on the other side of the tent, a good 30, 40 meters away from where we were working. All that the workers that came to install the stuff did was take the spade and to hit the spade into the sand the first time. And that sound of the metal hitting the sand, something she's never heard before, made a completely freak. And I just remember hearing the noise from, from her little enclosure. She, you could hear her sort of screaming and she ran into the fence. The fence actually scratched her forehead quite, quite badly. It was bleeding. So I had to go look after Serga, you know, clean her, her cut on the head and calm her down a lot because she was completely panicking. I think similarly, like, a person who is not used to venomous snake might panic if a venomous snake runs around. But the amazing thing is that obviously Serga didn't know what a venomous snake was. She saw one and she was completely calm, didn't try to play with it, obviously knows what to do with it. But a noise from a spade hitting the sand that she obviously never heard before, but also no instinct in her showed her that that is something that she doesn't have to be scared of. It really made her panic and... It scared the hell out of me about having anybody near her. And to this day, I try to explain to everybody that comes around to see Serga, to see me and Serga interact, that I want people to be very quiet, not move much, and just try to not not really interfere and not exist because it, it can make Serga, till, till today, freak out a lot. Some people talking loud is, is just completely against what she's used to or what seems to be okay for her. And... Yeah, this story with the snake and then the spade, although the snake could have killed her, the spade would have not done anything to her. I th find it quite amazing how that worked out. And yeah, it's an amazing experience to, to see an animal do that. Obviously, it was horrible that Sergei's head got hurt. It, it worried the hell out of me. Um, I thought at this stage she'd have a scar in the middle of her forehead for the rest of her life that would never go away. But actually, I think within about... A week or two, the thing was completely healed, so it, it turned out to to be a lot less bad than I initially had thought about it. Walking with Serga made the whole thing so much better because you just watch this little lion explore things, sniff on, on everything, and and just watching her be, grow into this huge predator that she's become today has been such a privilege in my life, and I yeah, I, I feel so blessed for for having had this experience and the opportunity for it. And on the first walk, Suga was very shy. She'd just pretty much run within a few meters of me. She'd just follow me, not go anywhere else, didn't want to ever stay away from me. And as we kept on walking and walking, you know, see, she slowly started getting an interest in other things, and she slowly started to be interested in a bird sitting somewhere, might even go for a little stalk, and she started looking like a little cat that's trying to to actually hunt something and things like that. Also, obviously, the first walks were relatively short for me, at least for Serga, it must have been exhausting. She wasn't able to walk very far in the beginning. And often I had to actually pick her up in the end and carry her home because she got too tired. 
And this was after maybe an hour or two. Then later on, she started keeping up a little bit better. She still got very tired and walks were easy. We had to go out for an hour. She started playing. And yeah, this is when things really became fun and you could observe the line. At the same time, I was always worried. What if another predator would come running and and all of these things, you know, if something happens, even an eagle could take at that stage. So not just Serga staying close to me. I also did try to stay close to Serga just to protect her somehow and be around. And it's just this huge worry about everything that you have the whole time. And I remember one time again, this plays into this thing where that noise is that they just don't know and that their instinct can't explain to them. It was an airplane that flew over us relatively low because there was a bush airstrip nearby and guests that were flying into to a lodge to do their safari were obviously on the plane and arriving. And the plane came past and Suga screamed and ran. And this was the first time she completely disappeared from me. We were in the middle of the bush and now I had a little line and I didn't know where she was. And I was reading the tracks in the sand and trying to just somehow understand where she went. But because we'd been playing around there and walking, there was just tracks all over and it really wasn't easy. I got extremely scared. I thought about walking back in between. I started actually walking back. Then I called again. I was listening for her. Then I went back. I looked for tracks. I looked for tracks behind me to see if she'd follow and still hide in the bush. And luckily I ended up finding her and she was just sitting in the bush. She was shaking and completely scared and panicked because of this airplane, which was, you know, a couple of hundred meters away and just landing somewhere. So I think what all this showed me is how much we might be disrupting nature. Often, if we're not even thinking about it, we think it's normal to drive in with a vehicle somewhere. And I think instinctively, all of these animals are extremely scared and what this showed to me, because Serga's parents obviously were used to vehicles, they were caught, they were sitting in in an enclosure facility nearby, we would drive there with a tractor and feed them and they would come running and be happy to get their food. But this little lion cub and an airplane arriving or a spade hitting the sand made us so scared. And what I started thinking about back then was that how much are we impacting just by going on our standard safaris, day-to-day -day life, on all of these things, you know, even though the parents, you know, the pride of lions is used to, to all of this, I believe that their cubs instinctively are absolutely terrified of all of these noises, which makes it so important for us to understand that some things we just need to leave alone, give them space and not disturb them at all, because no matter how well we might mean it, I think we can ruin a hell of a lot more than what we could possibly imagine, because we don't understand how these instincts work quite yet. Yeah, so as time went on, Serga obviously got a lot more, you know, happy running around outside. And many of the walks, I was the one getting tired and absolutely not Serga. And yeah, she could out outrun me without a problem. And one amazing thing that happened every year in, in that area where she grew up in was that seasonal pans would fill up with water in the rainy season and all kinds of amazing birds show up there, big, big bullfrogs that, that breed in these pans and all kinds of other stuff. And Serga and the water was something that was amazing to watch. She never liked rain. She still doesn't enjoy rain a hell of a lot and, and, until today. It's not a favorite thing. She gets wet and, and grumpy and just tries to shake it off, but it keeps raining. And the bushes that, that we're sitting in can only cover up for so long and then everything is just soaked. But she deals with it. But getting actually into water was a completely different thing. And in the beginning, she would not come into it at all. She touched the water with a pool. But even when she'd go to to drink and the tip of her toes would start touching the water, she'd immediately pull the feet back. And yeah, at the same time, when it's raining here, the days are incredibly hot. Not while it's raining necessarily, but afterwards. And having these full pans, like beautiful big swimming pools sitting all over the place, is just such an amazing privilege. And when I'm out with Serga and it's 40 degrees in the shade Celsius, I would just sit into these, in these pans and cool down a little bit. And Serga would hate it in the beginning and just walk around the pan, get very nervous. And she'd try, you know, step a little bit into it and then go back, step a little bit into it and again, then go back. And we had all kinds of games mostly like stalking each other, chasing each other, jumping. And it was more Serga jumping and Serga chasing and Serga stalking than anything. But 
what used to work so well is that she would, whenever she think that I'm not watching her, she'd start hiding behind the bush and just lie down. She still does the same thing today. It's just a lot more scary now because she weighs so much and becomes so strong. But back then she was small and it wasn't really a big problem. And I would pretend that I don't really know where she is and I'd go sort of walking so that like I'm almost walking past her. And just before I get that, start running. Like I'm the prey that's now realizing, oh, I have to run. And the moment I run, Serga would pounce out and jump on me and then we'd roll around in the sand. Back then, this was the moments where she really would like go for me and enjoy that little chase. So I started doing the same thing around these pans and I just ran into the water. And actually the first time that happened, Serga ran in with me about five to 10 meters maybe, and then stopped and ran straight out. And after that, she started going into the water more and more often and eventually coming to a stage where she really enjoyed it. And she never got to a stage where she would just run in, you know, like maybe a dog who loves water and sees the lake or the river and just has to jump into it. Sega would always be careful first, you know, get the paws a bit wet and everything. But once she got in and got over that little bit of fear that she had, she would just enjoy the water and the cool down that comes with it and get very active and play. So those pans actually played a huge part in her growing up and her experience. Then when Serga was 16 months old, she did her first kill. She killed a hearted beast. It was a very, very weak hearted beast. It was a bad drought when that happened. So the animal didn't have much food. It was skinny and probably about to die anyways. But in any case, Serga did manage to grab it. At that stage, Serga would start chasing a lot of things. She would always run and chase and things. And I could tell while I'm out with her that, oh, now she's looking at something, getting into a certain position. Her ears are changing. Her whole behavior is changing. She's not focused on me or playing. She, so you, you basically know she can hear something. And that could happen hours before you even know that something is actually there. Serga knows it just so much earlier. Then she'd run off. And I always made sure that I know that on those days, there was no guests on any drives in the in the whole area, that all the anywhere nearby cattle farms would know that I'm out with the line, that nobody should walk to try to get to the nearby lodge to buy tobacco or anything like that. So I knew that we're basically safe. I had radios with me so that I can communicate with, with the places. And yeah, Sega used to just run off when she found something to chase. She'd go for a run and I knew that she would always come back. I didn't really have to bother much. I'd always track on, you know, just walk on her tracks. But I'd let her run and do her thing and she'd be back with me sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes later. And if it didn't work, I'd start calling and she'd answer. Now, when that first kill with the heart beast happened, it was the same thing. I could see Sega's mood change. Obviously, she's seen something. She starts talking and... Boom, she went running. And then the next thing is you can hear the screams of an antelope being being killed. That's not a nice thing in general. Nothing being killed is something very enjoyable for, for us, I believe. But it's what lions are supposed to do. When I got there, Serga was busy pulling the hartebeest down. And 16 months old lion can be quite a, a machine if it wants to do something to you. And People had told me specifically that when she kills something, I need to be extremely careful because everything that she is with me might change completely and so on. So I did get worried about that in some way, obviously. And I watched her and, you know, felt bad for the heart beast that she was killing. And she was still smallish, sort of, and not really knowing what to do. And eventually she had the heart beast pulled down. The poor thing couldn't stand up anymore on top of the extremely weak condition it was in now it had the line with it and she had done some damage to it so i just wanted to go and help it and i did have a pocket knife but i was i didn't know if i should go and all of a sudden Serga just turned around she was now quite full of blood in her face and stuff like that and she came and just gave me a hug like she always did rubbed her head against me and then she went straight back to the heart beast so when that happened i knew that i can probably approach closer and Lions and their food is something pretty special. It's not normally easy to get near them. And even lions within their own family as a normal, you know, natural pride of lions can get extraordinarily aggressive around a kill towards each other and damage each other quite badly. And it's usually the big male that'll get to eat first. 
and then the other ones later on but they all growl at each other and get fairly grumpy so i wasn't sure what Serga was gonna do but she absolutely had no problem so i could actually go up i cut the heart of his throat to make its life end and and just end the suffering yeah then it was dead Serga was drinking some of the blood and i opened up the stomach and started feeding her the, the liver and the heart and things like that by hand. And she enjoyed that. She was very exhausted from the kill. It was not just a torture for the heart beast. This was Serga completely over-exhausting herself. Serga made a few more kills. And eventually she got another heart beast, which was very weak. And shortly after that, Serga became very sick for the first time where she was about to die. This time she started refusing food completely. She wouldn't take a baby milk anymore. And that went on for days, then a week. I'd been in contact with our vet and it just was looking terrible. And she, she lost some serious weight. Otherwise, she'd still be okay. She'd come hug me and, and be active. But she was definitely getting extremely weak. And the refusal of food and even her, her baby milk, which she would usually love to drink at any time, was extremely scary. So the vet had to come and and dart her for the first time, which was a horrible experience. Serga actually sort of roared while she was passing out for the first time. And that was the only time she's ever roared right in front of me like that while I was with her. I actually went inside that time and, and gave her the, the, the needle myself, the, the injection to make her sleep. And I stayed with her until she was, she was sleeping. And only when she was waking up, the vet had advised me to stay outside because of the mixture of drugs. He said she might not even know where she is or what she is right now. So I sat right outside by a fence. And the first thing she did after she woke up, she just crawled up to the fence and sat right against me, rubbing herself through the fence onto my head. And I went inside right then and, and everything was fine. She was like a little baby that doesn't know what's going on. And it was obviously hurt. Yeah, that was... A horrible experience. The good, the good news about it is that Serga obviously had just picked up some parasites. She got the medication for it while the vet was there already, and she was better pretty much the next day. And the tests later in her samples showed that she had parasites, obviously picked up from the sick heart beast that she killed. Then Serga was now becoming a pretty big lioness, and eventually. The government of Botswana, which we had always had a great relationship with and, and everything, and they've been aware of Serga and let things happen. But because of her becoming a grown lioness, they actually came and informed me that what we're doing is not necessarily legal. And not in the sense that we can't have Serga anything. The owner of the place, they had permits for everything and was actually working in collaboration with the wildlife department of Botswana with the whole pr problem predator scenario. But Serga had obviously now become quite a special thing and the fact that I was taking her out on walks was the problem now as much as that hurt me back then I do understand what the government is trying to say and what they are saying is simply that the lion can't just be outside the permit is granted because the animals are kept in an enclosed facility which ensures safety of the surrounding communities of people nearby and specifically having a hand-reared animal running around a game farm with basically no guarantee aside from my word that she won't leave me is not something that that should be taken lightly and accidents could have happened quite easily actually one time a few staff members were walking around in the farm and luckily they they screamed and jumped into a thorn bush and when i got there i could calm sugar down but nothing happened that back then absolutely but it's just something that, yeah, I think the government was very correct in this stage, although it hurt me, yeah, to a horrible extent because now we knew that Serga had to basically remain in her enclosure. The walks were banned, and I'd always dreamt of setting up a place that would be bigger where she could actually live, where I don't always have to be with her, and also where I don't always carry that responsibility and worry about something, you know, happening to a human and the whole, you know, the whole story and terrible publicity that could come with it. And that would have such a bad influence for all other lions in Africa. 
because Serga would kill another human. I'm very sure about it. Maybe not even because she wants to, but simply because the person that she would meet wouldn't behave like they know each other. So that's always something that's in the back of your head when you're doing this kind of stuff and you you want to do everything to make that not happen. And yeah, so stopping the walks was a horrible thing for me, but I think at the same time, a bit of a, a kick in the butt to to get going with the plan for a whole new reserve which then basically happened so over the about three and a half years i think from there on it took to get everything done we moved suga to a new place suga's move if i have time i think that might become a whole a whole new podcast it's just simply not enough time to do all of that into this one but eventually we got suga moved to this new location where we are now we have a 2000 hectare area that is set aside for her it's full of, well, the wild Kalahari, which is exactly what she's supposed to be in. It has an electrified wildlife fence around it. There are plenty of animals inside, prey animals that she could hunt. They're doing extremely well and they're happy. And so far, I've been taking Surga on the first walks in that area. She is doing well. She's absolutely loving being outside. And we can't wait to get a GPS collar that is soon to be arriving here. This is at the moment the corona lockdown times and everything is hard to come by and hard to organize. But as soon as her satellite collar arrives, Serga will be able to stay outside in the 2000 hectare even when I'm not right next to her. And we can monitor her movements and her well-being on a computer screen from our office at the same time, I will never leave Serga. I'm always, always here with her. And she is in some way released into the 2000 hectare area, but she is still inside the 2000 hectare area, which is controlled by us. And yes, she can hunt there. Yes, there are other animals around, but that's actually just what a lion needs to do. And... I think if we're looking at the overall scenario, there are actually certain pros and cons to captive scenarios for wild animals. If we're looking specifically at lions and their lifespan in the wild, the lifespan in the wild, maybe 10 to 15 years, that's a pretty old lion. In captivity, 20 to 25 years. So that increases. Something that we generally regard as something extremely good if we're looking at our own lives. And obviously there's health you know that that plays an important role they won't get sick and if they do we have a vet that sorts them out that doesn't happen if you're a wild lion if you lose your teeth to an accident or just because they fall out because you're old that lion's gonna die because it can't eat properly and even if it can it won't have enough time to try and eat because the other lions will eat much faster and have everything finished so life can be tough outside the longer lifespan health all of these things are definitely a benefit of a captive a proper captive scenario but a free scenario has a few things that i think can't beat anything and the one is the instincts that i tried to speak about earlier with the more the opposite of the instincts you know the, the instincts that don't exist like the shovel hitting the sand or the airplane coming nearby and what that does and how strong these instincts are the instinct to live outside and chase something and stalk something for a lion is just as big and that is something that i don't think can ever be taken out of a lion it's just something that's there and it's not going to disappear and it's something that does not really function in a captive scenario above all it keeps them free and it gives them that freedom to live out instincts that i don't think we i don't think we can understand them and well, I don't think lions understand them either. I just think they have them and it's something that we got to let them have. And that is why Suga is getting the scenario now where she can live out all the instincts she has and we can still look after her and keep her safe. I know that there might be a risk of her hunting, getting injured by something that she chases or tries to kill. There are antelope that can sometimes injure or even kill a lion but Serga shouldn't get into a desperate situation like that. She is being fed by us. She knows that, you know, she can get food if she wants to come home. The home enclosure that she has is one of the corners of this big sort of little reserve that Serga has for herself here. She can always come back here and be there. It's got. It's simply going to be her choice. And on top of that, I would love to introduce her to another line at some point in the future. 
she had contact with wild lions now since we moved here, but not directly. It's always been through her fence. And actually, that's been a whole other story, which, again, might become another podcast at a stage about Serga and how she started interacting with these other lions. This time, it was simply about Serga's general story, how she grew up, and more the very beginning of her being a, a lion cub that got rescued by me. I have dreams about Serga one day having cubs, but the only way that that's ever going to happen is if those cubs could be born in a scenario where they do not have any more interaction with humans than any other wild lion in Africa would normally have. So basically saying, if Serga goes into the 2000 hectare, if we can successfully manage to get a male lion who might be shot somewhere on a ranch, which is something that happens in Africa, and we can save that animal, we can bring him here, and we can introduce him into Serga's area, and they get along well, and we manage to have them live together, and they manage to hunt together, and all of these things. And if that works, those cubs can grow up as normal lions, although they would be confined to the 2,000 hectare area. All of that's not so easy, and creating more lions does not necessarily help the wild lion population. Actually, rather the opposite. It might damage the reputation that conservation has in general, because breeding them does not help. There are other reasons why our lions are disappearing. And I think I've spoken for quite a long time now about Serga, and I hope everybody enjoyed the story. The next podcast will be about the ecosystem that she comes from and how her relatives are actually suffering in that area and specifically why and i think relating that to Serga and her scenario that will explain extremely clearly why there is absolutely no point breeding lines just to have them released into a wild that actually just simply doesn't exist anymore for them if you would like to see photographs of Serga as a cub and in her early days then feel free to check out our blog post at sergathelioness.com Thanks for listening to this episode of the Kalahari Diaries. Did you enjoy the podcast? Fantastic. You can help me tremendously by subscribing and rating it on your podcast app. Leave a review and tell friends and family about it if you feel like it. If you want to know more about this story, go ahead and check out the website on sergathelioness.com or follow me on social media. You'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at Valgrüne, that is at V-A-L-G-R-U-E-N-E-R and at Modisa Wildlife Project where I'm sharing photos and videos from the Kalahari on a regular basis. I'm Val and you've been listening to the Kalahari Diaries.